greetings to those who watch below. Today's Creepypasta Storytime is a tale of how, sometimes, you just can't escape bureaucracy. But before we start, I'd like to say a huge thank you and give a massive shout-out to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Jess Black Curtain, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, and Christina Groves for being those who dwell below. An exclusive channel membership that gets you shout-outs at the start of every video. So now please sit back, relax, and enjoy You Can't Argue With The Statistics by Jamie Carson. The 6.13pm service from Penrith to London is delayed by 23 minutes. Grand Central Trains apologises for any inconvenience caused. Mumbles a distorted voice over the tannoy speaker. Daniel clutches his weekend bag in one hand, the tattered leather handles worn away from excessive use, feeling uncomfortable in his sweaty palm. In his other hand is a can of lukewarm local ale, left over from the stag do shenanigans of the night before. A long sigh exits his mouth as he deals with this minor inconvenience during an epic come-down, making life's little problems seem ten times worse. He sits on an offensive lime green bench and pulls out a Marlboro red cigarette from a crushed packet that he taps twice on his leg for no other reason than he thinks it makes him look cool. It does not. With his hand shaking from the fourth day of excessive drinking, Daniel places the fag between his dry, cracked lips, hoping to smoke the oncoming fear of his cumulative hangover away. Fucking stag do's. Fucking trains. Fucking fuck. He mutters under his breath to no one in particular while lighting up, ignoring the faded no-smoking sign on the platform that has been battered by the violent North England weather. This was Daniel's second stag do this month, and his sixth so far this year. It was only May. He is 31 years old, but feels physically 15 years older than that, yet somehow has the mentality of a university fresher. He is single, his favourite drink is Guinness, something easily identifiable by the dry black edges around his mouth and the charcoal shade of his bowel movements, and he has a modestly paid job earning 44.5k a year in a beige office that deals with data analysis. To most, he is an average man with an average name. But there's another side to Daniel that those around him don't know. Something that is common, yet paradoxically perplexing. It's nothing that he would boast about on his pretty inactive Tinder profile, but it is something that has become more popular for men under 45, and is 75% more likely to happen to his gender specifically. Daniel wants to commit suicide. He doesn't want to kill himself in the figurative social media sense of OMG I want to die, lol. He literally wants to perish. It's the last thing he thinks of as he falls into a restless slumber, the first thought that starts a new day, and the nagging idea that bounces off his cubicle walls like a grim game of pong. Rope, knife, pills. He's considered all the big players to exit this world, but they all seem a little too drawn out and a little too expected. But standing here on the edge of a platform feeling like he does, he considers jumping out in front of a train and bursting like a fleshy water balloon. Quick, easy, and dramatic. Daniel doesn't know why he wants to die, 
which makes him want to die even more. His life is perfectly adequate, and when compared to most of the Western world, he lives a very comfortable existence. But that's where the problem is rooted. Existing. He didn't feel like he was truly living. He completed his 9 to 5, got the 37 minute tube home, had a wank, scoffed a high quality microwave meal, then nursed himself into a drunken coma by sinking six cans in bed, while Grand Designs acted as background noise, all the while stalking secondary school flings on social media. Daniel was stuck in an endless loop of mundanity, with no noticeable way out, other than the termination of life. Suicide by train has increased by 7% in the last year. A voice next to him on the bench says, a voice so similar to his that he thought he was thinking aloud. Sure that no one was next to him a moment ago, Daniel turns his head to find where the origin of this unsettling statement emanated from. Sitting there in a black Puritan-esque wide-brimmed fedora pulled down to cover their face, with hands placed neatly on a leather briefcase resting on their lap, is a figure in a tightly fitted black suit, black shirt, black tie, and black boots. The stranger reaches a hand to the hat, and pulls it off in an act of archaic politeness, and rests it on top of the case. Daniel's mouth hangs open, and his cigarette falls to the floor. The thing's skin is pale to the point of being translucent, and is so tight around the skull that it looks like it's being pulled back from behind the head. But this is only one disturbing characteristic of a plethora of obscene facial features, as the man, if that's what it is, has no eyelids, which makes the two milky white eyes protrude from their sockets. He also has impossibly thin, dark lips that look like they've been drawn on with a freshly sharpened pencil, which expose crooked yellow teeth that are chattering at such a speed, it's as if they're comically cold. Daniel does not scream at the appearance of the suited man, nor does he shudder, wince, or freeze in shock. What is next to him is unsettling for sure, but in no way does it make Daniel run for the exit. He recognises this face and presence from somewhere he can't pinpoint. It's as if he's seen him a million times in the corner of his eye, ever so slightly, out of sight. It would be an acceptable way to die. It fits in with my statistics for this calendar year, the Snow White Man claims before returning back to his distracted teeth chatter. Well, well, what's happening? Apologies, let me introduce myself. I am your caseworker. My name is number 5233. I am here to make sure the loss of your life runs smoothly today. He attempts an unusually wide smile that doesn't fully register thanks to the lack of lips. But Daniel gets the gist, even though this statement is really nothing to smile about. The loss of my life? Yes, you are scheduled to die today to fulfil the male suicide quota for this year. Your cause of death will be suicide by train. Would you like more details? I'm sure I have the exact time of when your heart will stop, as well as when your brain will cease functioning. An awkward silence falls between them. Daniel doesn't even seem to hear the clinking of teeth anymore. Only an overwhelming ringing fills his ears, followed by the quickening beat of his heart that travels up his chest and into his parched, tobacco-scorned throat. 
Daniel snaps out of the potential panic attack and does a 360 of the busy station to see if anyone else has noticed the deformed Angel of Death sitting by his side. But no one seems to acknowledge its existence. Even when he shouts, does anyone see this corpse, at the top of his voice to grab the attention of his fellow passengers. They just look at him with a mildly shocked squint that silently says, tut tut, in a very British manner. Why the fuck are your eyes like... like that? He chuckles dryly in response, almost like it just learned how to laugh from reading a dictionary definition of the human action. I cannot miss a thing, 5223 explains. The statistics are very important. I need to have eyes constantly on the present to determine the accuracy of my findings. I've watched your whole life, every second. Today is the result of my calculations, and I'm here to make sure everything is hunky-dory. The last two words bring back that wickedly wide smile. Daniel's hand is shaking as he brings his lukewarm can to his mouth, something to help him calm the nerves and hopefully shake off what he hopes is a bad trip from one of the dodgy pills he'd taken over the weekend. A rancid curry, perhaps. Or maybe the years of substance abuse has just finally vanquished whatever was left of his sanity. Oh, I'm not a hallucination. I'm here because you thought me here. You've been thinking about me for a while, and I've felt it. But your time is finally here. You will finally be free. Daniel knows in his heart and mind that it doesn't lie. This is not some psychological reaction to bad ecstasy. But now that the moment of reckoning is finally upon him, he doesn't want to go. It... It was just a thought. I didn't really want to throw myself on the tracks. He lies as a droplet of sweat trickles from his forehead to his jaw. We both know that's not true. I've been in there. Number 5233 taps Daniel's head, who is expecting to recoil at the unnaturally cold touch of a bony limb, but in fact did not feel anything at all. Daniel masks his tears by reaching into his tenpence carrier bag for his last can, making the process last longer than it should, just so he can escape the caseworker's gaze for an extra few seconds. He cracks it open, and the foam spits out onto his cheeks, warm lager mixing with salty sweat that he doesn't wipe away. What can I do to stop this? He bargains. It is already too late, his caseworker explains, as it begins to roll a numbered code into the suitcase. I have paperwork here that shows the likelihood of your return to good mental health, and it's not good. Daniel slams his hand on top of the case, forcing it to shut as a mouthful of beer escapes the can and lands on his sticky nightclub-scented jeans. They look each other dead in the eyes, neither of them blinking this time. I am not a fucking number, he aggressively whispers under his breath, just in case anyone looked his way and saw him arguing with thin air. The last thing he needed now was to be sectioned. Daniel expects another eerie smile to cross the face of the icy white messenger, but instead it drops the suitcase to the floor and stands up for the first time with an expression devoid of any emotion. Its tall, gaunt shape only comes as surprise as it towers over him like a teacher looking down on a student during an exam, expecting them of cheating. 
Please stand away from the edge of the platform. The next train will not be stopping here, says the Tannoy speaker. But death is so easy, it says. As the unstopping train glides around the corner, number 5233 begins to float towards the tracks, its feet never moving at all. Daniel doesn't find this surprising. After all, he is speaking to his very own personal demon. However, realising that a shadow isn't being cast on the ground as it hovers to the edge does make his penis shrivel. Look, it pleads. It levitates down onto the tracks and turns toward the oncoming locomotive, arms outstretched, ready to embrace hot metal at 120 miles per hour. Daniel looks on transfixed, wanting his new companion to be torn apart. Not only because this surreal ordeal would be over, but because he wanted to experience death up close, to see, smell, and taste what he thought he craved. If this thing had eyelids, Daniel is sure it would have winked at him. The train collides into the thing in the suit, but no gore splashes the platform. Instead, clouds of black smoke explode from what once took the form of a man, which caress and travel down the side of the train as it makes its way through the station. This smog starts to make its way towards the bench Daniel sits on, which he clutches now with jittery, sweaty palms. First it is shapeless, but a form of a hand starts to take shape. A finger becomes clear, and it moves back and forth as if to say, Come here. Daniel does not. Instead, he storms to the station bathroom to get away, knowing that he cannot escape something which is obviously in his head. But sitting there on that cold bench being groomed into killing himself was making him want to do it, just to get that thing away from him. He didn't want to be in a world where something like that could have access to his darkest thoughts. Daniel splashes ice-cold water from the one working rusty tap in the bathroom and looks into the mirror, only to find that his reflection has been stolen and replaced with that of 5233, straightening his chunky black tie. What's the problem? Before you were born you weren't alive. You're just coming full circle, the caseworker says, as its hand comes through from the mirror and rests on Daniel's shoulder in an aid to comfort him. The void is so nice and warm. I've been there a couple of times myself. It's just like sleeping. You like sleeping, right? Daniel's wet face stares dizzily into the mirror as he becomes mesmerised by the voice. What was once unsettling and unreasonable is now starting to make sense. I do... I do love sleeping, he confirms, smiling in the same unnatural way this thing does. Then let's get you ready for bed he says, as a reassuring hand slowly moves from shoulder to a firm grip around Daniel's throat. As he is about to succumb, his phone vibrates, waking him up from his trance-like state. He opens up WhatsApp and sees a new message posted by the groom-to-be in the stag group chat. Adam. Lads, just wanted to say thanks for the sick weekend. I know it's soppy as balls, but I love each and every one of you. I can't wait to have you all there by my side on the big day. Couldn't do without you. Have a safe trip back, y'all, and see you at the wedding. Kiss. Daniel cracks a smile, but not like the corrupted one from moments ago. He stares into the mirror again, and for the first time, the thing looking back at him 
shows a different emotion. Anger. A low, primal growl begins to rise from number 5233's throat. As its eyes roll into the back of its head, so only dirty whites are visible. Its jaw then rapidly unlocks and stretches vertically, showing a swirling pool of murky darkness beyond the yellow teeth that seems to call to Daniel. He doesn't listen, though. Instead, he brings his tensed fist back and throws it towards the centre of the mirror, breaking it into a multitude of shards that litter the dirty floor and make his personal Grim Reaper disappear. The delayed 6.30pm train to London Newston will shortly be arriving on the platform. Please stay away from the yellow line, says the conductor over the tannoy. Daniel wipes a rogue tear and nurses his grazed bloody hand. I'll be okay. I'll be okay, he whispers to himself, now fully believing it. Daniel returns to the bench to grab his bag and walks to the beginning of the platform to find the correct section to board the train. Eager to sit down in his reserved seat and make plans for a positive future, free of substances and life choices that have put himself in this self-destructive mindset, but not after one last drink. He fumbles around in his bag for his final can and opens it with a satisfying crunch, thinking to himself that he's never deserved to be a more in his life, but also that this would be his final drink if he were truly to get on the road to recovery. He sticks his head back and takes that first fizzy swig, but instead of instant satisfaction, a wave of panic engulfs him as he belches up a sour bile and an attack of acid reflux. He looks down to the ground to spit it out and sees a white skeletal hand emerge from the tracks. His caseworker tries to pull himself up to the safety of the platform by latching his unnaturally long fingers around Daniel's ankle. This time he can feel the touch and it sends lightning bolts right up his spine and into his head, making his scalp tingle like thousands of tiny needles are stabbing it repeatedly. Please sir, I must insist that you step in front of that train. I'm simply doing my job, it says with mild annoyance. His breathing intensifies and loses its steady rhythm, an hors d'oeuvre to an inevitable panic attack. He turns around for assistance he knows he cannot receive, only to notice something that definitely wasn't there before. More caseworkers, hovering around a few select people. A teenage girl that's picking a fingernail past its wick. A solo father with bags under his eyes, being accosted by three screaming toddlers, and a homeless man with a brutally honest sign that reads, Need pounds for booze. Unlike him, though, they seem to be blissfully unaware of the tailored monsters intruding on their lives. Why is no one else seeing this? Because it is not their time. They are just being prepared for their exit, the caseworker softly says, intensely glaring at Daniel with no way of blinking. Their worlds are not yet ready to meet. But you are ready. You have been chosen to help fulfil this year's statistics. Your death will have meaning. The comfortable numbness that washed over Daniel in the bathroom returns, warmly inviting him towards the tracks to become just another statistic. But the human mind is a curious thing, because when we get what we thought we wanted, most of the time we realise we never really wanted it in the first place. Eternal darkness is just a couple of steps away, 
and with that stark realisation, he realises his life of normality didn't have to be normal. It was his need to self-anaesthetise through soul-destroying vices that warped his views of what was existing and what was living. Sadly, this epiphany often comes at the eleventh hour, when it's too late to turn back the clock. No, I choose to live, you pasty motherfucker. Daniel shouts as he shakes the tight grip from his ankle. This is my choice and no one else's, and I choose to get better. I am more than a number. Daniel drains his can, drops it on the floor, and goes to kick it at 5233 in a petty act of defiance. But this rebellion fails. After the deadly mix of one too many cans of 5.6% craft lager and a mental spasm of terror, he becomes unsteady on his feet. He loses his balance and tumbles forwards onto the track, hitting his head on steel as the delayed 6.13pm from Glasgow finally storms toward the station. Number 5233 pulls himself to safety, leaving his work on the rails. He looks down at another successful case. Accidental train deaths resulting from drunk, negligent behaviour will be up by 4% this year, and alcoholism in young men aged 18 to 35 expected to rise by 13%. He says, staring into Daniel's confused eyes, just before the passengers on the platform shriek from seeing and hearing his body crushed by the force of the 466-ton train, breaking his bones and squashing his internal organs. Rather than the water balloon effect he was hoping for, this is a much slower and intimate way to go, seeing as the train was slowing down as it made its approach. It looks more like squeezing the last bit of toothpaste out of the tube. 5233 returns to the bench and picks up his briefcase and hat, placing it on his head before marching to the exit, satisfied with the day's work. You can't argue with the statistics, he says before returning to an erratic teeth chatter, which slowly fades away into the sound of sirens coming for the drunk man who was talking to himself a little too close to the tracks. Hi there guys, thank you so much for listening to this video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to hit the like button, and also if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel, making sure you hit the notification bell so that you know when the next video goes live. I'll be back tomorrow where we're going to continue our paranormal road trip of the USA. So, until then, sleep tight.